The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. You are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show for another glorious winter Sunday morning. Welcome to all you beautiful listeners and panel. I'm Chloe Foster and with me today in the studio is Tex Moon from the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens, Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants and Sandra Swartz, Landscape Architect. Good morning to you all, and what a mild end to winter we're sort of having at the moment. Yeah, yeah. don't get too too cocky about it. Well, it could change any minute. <laughs> weather chat is so important to us gardeners. Of course it is. It's not just some silly small talk thing that no. you do. I notice this quite often. End of August, people get really excited that, oh, spring's coming, it's not as freezing mm. anymore, and then September hits and the – proverbial can hit the fan. Yeah. And so. September's often really cold in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. it can be. We, we've had very few frosts up at Mount Macedon, so me being in zonal denial and growing all sorts of things I shouldn't have, um, uh, a lot of things that would normally be well and truly blackened by this time of the year and then I'd have to wait for them to reshoot again <laughs> later in the season, they've still got green leaves on. And so, you know, so you do sometimes think, ah, I got through this time and boom. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, uh, I'm not sort of hoping at this stage that it's all over. Uh, we still could get some heavy frosts. But if we don't, uh, my Ethiopian acanthus could flower this year, which it only does every couple of years. My Wigandia looks like it's going to keep its old growth. So that uh, will flower nicely this year, I mm. hope. So there's quite a few things that I probably shouldn't be growing at Macedon, but I am, um, that it's year by year, you're never yeah. quite sure what's going to happen. Um, I was talking to Craig Wilson the like this week yeah. and he said, oh, it's, you know, because winter's been a little bit drier and a bit more mild, he's getting spring flowering stuff starting to come out of yeah. dormancy, you're starting to flower. Mm. Have you found that up at Yeah, it certainly, it certainly feels like we're sort of heading into spring at the moment. Mm. Granted, I, I agree that there, there could be some surprises and <laughs> it's not unheard of to get snow in October and things like yeah. that. So, so mm. yeah, but it, it certainly does, it is feeling like that. And, of course, up in the Dandenongs, you've got all the wattles that are that are out in the bush and everything like beacons. So it's yeah, it, it is that nice time of year where you, where you start getting that, that crossover. It is. Oh, the wattles have been absolutely beautiful this year, and they do just give you a little bit of a push to go. (laughs) Right, 
<laughs> Not long now. A little bit of cold well, weather. Well, it, it was getting light at 6.30 this morning on the drive down too, so the yeah. days are yeah. lengthening out as well. It uh, wasn't as pitch black for me either. No, and <laughs> yeah, I always take that as an indicator. You know, every time I come down to 3CR and the sky's starting to yeah. lighten on the drive down, <laughs> yeah. you go, oh, well, you know, we're getting there. Yeah. My other indicator, and it's usually when I'm coming into the studio on a Sunday morning, is the Eastern Freeway. There's in the the plants that are growing along the Eastern Freeway. There's clematis, you know, just sort of a canopy over the top of it, and it's starting to it's flowering mm. at the moment too. And that's I don't know. It must be really bright in the morning when it's flowering or something. I always notice it yeah. coming in at this time of year, coming into the station. Yeah, so there you go. So there yeah, you so go. look, spring is definitely on its way. But, yes, spring can be one of the most unreliable yeah, seasons that absolutely. we have. Yeah. So you just never know. No, um, and I do remember it was probably maybe two maybe two years ago we had two really heavy frosts in September mm. and in the city too. I remember there was uh, at the Melbourne Poly Fairfield campus, there's a big old ficus elastica growing outside. It would be like. It'd be about five or six meters tall, and it, about a foot of growth got frostburnt yeah, right. yeah. on it, and that was and in that was, Fairfield. I was going to say in the city, you know, yeah. that's pretty well unheard of. It was, re- and it was really late. I remember mm. oh, it was yeah. quite. Yeah. And late frosts actually can cause a lot of damage because uh, if you get a mild winter and things start to break their dormancy, then they're all soft and sappy, yeah. and. Boomph. Yes, it can cause all sorts of issues. Yeah, we usually have, you know, the weather channels are usually pretty good at giving us a bit of a warning before a frost is going mm. to come. Would you run out and put shade cloth over anything? Do you Not prefer? anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time I probably would have. Yeah. But nowadays I think, oh, no, I'll just sleep in and, you know, we'll deal with the <laughs> repercussions <laughs> later. What about, yeah, what about you guys? No, we don't. There's no, no sort of... No getting out and uh, covering plants or anything like that. Everything has to fend for itself in our in our mm. gardens. But, yeah, certainly I know, well, you know, the Tonkin, or Jane Tonkin and Kirill will always be putting shade cloth over there. Yeah, but they're, they're there. complete obsessives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, then they need they, they need the, the frost for the peonies and things like that as well. Yeah. So, so it's this, mm. yeah. So, anyway. We, we do want the frost sometimes. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. frost is important. I think yeah. people sort of... Uh, they get annoyed by it because they feel cold and horrible, but uh, it's an important part of our gardening year. Um, mm. It helps kill a lot of bugs. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it does lots of things like that. It also ripens bulbs and things. So things that come from uh, naturally cold climates often need that um, yeah. chill to sort of ripen the bulbs properly so that you get proper flowering. That's, that's yeah. why people tell you to put your tulip uh, bulbs in the, in the crisper is to help them send up good long flower spikes. Mm. It's not about the flower being formed. It's already in there. Um, it's about getting a proper long stem. So if if your tulips don't get enough cold, then they'll, they'll flower really low mm. uh, if they've already got a flower bud in them. So, yeah, so lots of things like that do need the cold to really stimulate them. I think it's one yeah. of those things overseas as well that um, I think in Canada, conifers are like they're struggling because the winters with climate change are getting less and so the bugs in those trees are not getting killed off and therefore mm. like there's just forests being decimated by by whatever bugs are in their, yeah. their bark because they're just not being killed by the cold anymore. Yeah, and so. that's always been one of the beauties of gardening in Melbourne or a cooler climate is you get this, you know, you get winter that does a bit of pest control for yeah. you and you mm. get a break, whereas further north in Australia yep. that's more temperate, you can grow zucchinis for longer but you're, you're mm. dealing with pests 
mm. sort of all, all year round in some cases. Yeah. I reckon you certainly notice it on the mild winter years, especially with things like the European wasps that just don't, they, they, yes. they just don't have the, the continue building. Right I've had a few blowies in the house already. Yeah, so have we. Oh, I've had them too. <laughs> yeah, and I, I went, where do they come from? <laughs> goodness only knows. But uh, I was in the bathroom this morning, uh, cleaning my teeth and getting ready to go, and I heard this buzz, and I looked up. <laughs> Here's a blasted blowfly yeah, in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I don't know. I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's not your lack of um, hygiene and skills in the house. Trying to find a dead body under the house. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. So who knows? I mean. It's just, it is bizarre, but anyhow, uh, I'm enjoying the garden since I've got back from overseas. I've been working like a navvy trying to catch up. Uh, there would have been a bit of catch up for uh, you, but luckily you were away in winter. So well, that's what I was trying to plan for. Yeah. yeah, well, it normally does. I mean, there's still weed growth during the winter in southern Victoria, even at Macedon. So things like um, cleavers or sticky weed, that mm. keeps growing. Mm. Winter grass keeps growing. Um, flickweed keeps growing, yeah. you know. So a lot of those small sort of annual weeds, yeah. uh, they keep their their act going. So I've mm. got to get stuck in and get those out now yeah. uh, before they all get up big enough to start uh, self seeding. And actually, the worst thing coming back was because I left in the autumn, the leaf fall hadn't completely finished, um, and I got back oh. and the driveway was covered in wet, squishy leaves yeah. that were almost impossible. <laughs> and you've got to a, clean up a lovely white stone driveway. Yeah, that's right. A white stone driveway. It's asphalt. You can hose it off. Yeah, well, I couldn't. And and trying to use a blower or something, yeah. it, it was trying yeah, to yeah. lift up this big <laughs> clod <laughs> of leaves. And even now there's still little chunks of... Uh, half-rotted leafy stuff on my driveway that I just haven't been able to get rid of yet. So that was the biggest thing, was to try and tidy up the paths and driveways when I got back. Mm. And, of course, my manigums that I planted for the koalas, which I now somewhat regret because no koalas ever made use of them, <laughs> and they are the messiest tree known to man, yeah. I've decided. Um, of course, they've been shedding bark and twigs and stuff, and there'd obviously been a few storms, so there was lots of litter down out of the manigums, uh, which are getting surprisingly big, seeing as I planted them as seedlings only a few years ago, it would seem. They don't take long. My goodness, one of them's got a trunk on it that's, you know, must be a metre at least uh, in diameter at the base. And, you know, you look at a tree like that and you think... God, did I really plant that? Yeah. You know, it's looking far too big for something I put in the ground. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so my manigums have become something of a, um, a struggle because the place looks an absolute mess when the bark on the manigums comes down. If you don't clean it up, mm. it just looks awful. Um, and the only good side of it, we have an open fire, so we've always got oodles of kindling. Well, that's all right. Yeah, so I, I use it up that yeah, way. that's okay. So, yeah, so, but, you know, just keeping it tidy. I mean, every day you could go out and clean up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, know? we feel your, feel your pain, Stephen. We got, obviously, eucalyptus regnans. Oh, yeah, shepherd. well, it's, it's, it's as it's, bad. And it's, it's, they're beautiful and, and it's great organic matter to have around, mm. but... But one, yeah, one piece of bark can seem to go on for hundreds, hundreds of years. You know, <laughs> you think, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and it doesn't look tidy and it takes forever to rot down if you don't shred it or do something with it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So And, of course, it also causes a, a, a fire risk in the summer if you leave lots of bark lying mm-hmm. around. And, of course, for me, it catches itself up in things. Yeah. So it's sometimes not even the fact that it, uh, it hits the ground. When it gets caught up in a tree that's sort of four metres tall itself and you've got these big chunks of bark hanging out of your trees, uh, it's so messy. <laughs> it's so messy. It's kind of it's kind of cool too. The, mm. the bark is just 
yeah. so long. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think I'll have to try and have a um, a, a measurement of them and see if I can break any records. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I must yeah. be getting close. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get to a couple of community announcements and then open the phone lines. Uh, Open Gardens Victoria have a few events coming up, so get your pen and papers out and take some notes down. On uh, There's an online uh, seminar or webinar on the 31st of August from 7.30 to 8.30, uh, Dr. Annie Nimo of BirdLife Australia is doing a webinar on bird-friendly gardening and how to attract more birds to our gardens uh, and the features of habitat gardening to get more birds in. So that's 7.30 till 8.30 p.m. on the 31st of August, $30 per ticket, and the booking system via TriBookings. Jump onto the Open Gardens Victoria website for some more um, information and for how to book for that. Um, Cooking Up Compost, an in-person workshop in East Geelong, um, led by OGV's compost queen, Helena Buxton, where gardeners can learn how to improve their soil. Um, it's run over two sessions, 15 people per session. Um, they're both, there's a morning session and an afternoon session on the 2nd of September, $45. Again, book, bookings via Open Gardens Victoria website. Um, it was a sellout last time they did it and a morning and afternoon tea will be provided. I'm always up for for catering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that is on the 2nd of September, cooking up compost. So how to improve your soil and um, compost all your food scraps, uh, $45. uh, Yeah, and the 2nd of September that one's on. The final uh, event that Open Gardens Victoria has coming up is the Flower Fundamentals Masterclass with Jack Semler. So join Jack. She's a recognised horticulturalist and flower maximalist for a series of practical masterclasses to take you through the planning, preparation, propagation and tending uh, for a summer garden filled with flowers. There's four online sessions, Thursday the 7th of September, the 5th of October, the 9th of November and the 8th of February next year. All online sessions, 7.30 till 8.30. It's $170 for all four uh, sessions or $50 per session. And again, that's booking via the Open Gardens Victoria website uh, through their tri-booking system. Uh, And on today, if you're looking for something to do, get down to the Werribee Park Heritage Orchard uh, Fruit Tree Festival from 10am today. It's down at the orchard at Werribee Park Mansion Precinct. It's a free free event. Uh, They claim it to be Australia's largest grafting day. So you can buy rootstock and scion material Uh, of some really rare heritage varieties of a huge range of fruits. Um, There's more information on their website, which is, I will tell you, werribeeparkheritageorchard.org.au. What else is there? Dry climate gardening. So the 38th Western Region Garden Conference, Garden Clubs Conference, Um, being held at Melton Community Hall on Saturday the 26th of August. 
There's some pretty big name speakers there, Jane Edmondson, Simon Rickard and Professor Tim Entwistle will be leading the talks. So that's Saturday the 26th of August, um, 9am till 4pm at Melton Community Hall. It's $45 per person, includes morning and afternoon tea and a light lunch. Um, bookings are essential. Um, RSVP to John Bentley and the number for that is... Nine seven four three three eight one nine, or you can email friends at fmbg.org.au. So that's Friends of Melton Botanic Gardens are the hosts of this. And I've got a couple more. I thought I didn't have too many this morning. Yeah, well, it's like you got more than you thought you did. Yes, again, so back down in Geelong. So this afternoon, just a reminder that the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens, um, their August-themed walk is about the Chinese plants in their garden. So it's at 2 p.m. today. Um, meet the guide at the front steps of the Geelong Botanic Gardens, gold coin donation, um, and they're going to chat about all the different um, plants that are in Geelong Gardens um, that have Chinese connections. Now, Stephen, you were talking about a wonderful lady that you're trying to get bronzed. Yes, in (laughs) fact. um, uh, Many of you are probably aware that the government is trying to encourage more um, sculptural uh, elements around Melbourne City that uh, depict women. Apparently, we've got more horses than women. And more Uh, dogs, apparently. And more dogs, apparently, yeah, which is just (laughs) so disgraceful. Um, Anyhow, Mount Macedon had a famous lady uh, who was Alice Rowan, and some people may know about Alice Rowan. Uh, she was a, in her time, an incredibly famous um, uh, painter who did mainly uh, wildflower paintings. Um, and she was one of those um, free-spirited type people. She had a husband and a small child. She decided that was enough, so she took off. She went to New Guinea all over the place painting flowers and things. Um, she painted Birds of Paradise as well. She painted some landscapes. There's all sorts of things out there. And she was very prolific and very well thought of in her time. And her family lived at Mount Macedon. Her father Father Charles Ryan owned one of the big properties up there and uh, quite unfairly there's Ryan's Parade which is a road that is named after her father obviously and there's Blanche and Mabel Crescent and Parade and that's her two sisters uh, who stayed at home and looked after dad Um, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing on Mount Macedon about Alice Rowan Uh, and there's over the years been a few pushes to get something happen. Um, Last year was the 100th uh, anniversary of her death um, and so we feel that now is a, uh, the appropriate time to try and do something. Um, uh, the sculptor who's going to create the sculpture, if we can raise enough funds, uh, lives in the Mount Acidon area, so it's a local sculptor, and uh, it's a lady sculptor as well, which is really nice, and she just did the sculpture that's in front of the Trades Hall. So if people want to go and see one of her works, there's one in front of the Trades Hall, and so we're trying to get uh, a lot of money together in due course, uh, and I'll give people more details later once we get it properly set up, Great. Uh, where they can help donate. Large <laughs> donations will, uh, or large donors will be on a plaque, so 
So if anybody wants to give us oodles of money, uh, <laughs> there will be a plaque for the bigger donators um, when we get the Alice Rowan sculpture created. So it's very exciting. I that think. is exciting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I yeah. hope you get it up and running. I, really I think we do. will. And keep us posted when you know. If yeah. Well, I'll let you know. When, you know when we start getting a bit of uh, finance behind us and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sculptor is making the Marquette at the moment, which is the little sort of clay mm-hmm. version of what the big sculpture yeah. will be. So we'll have something to show people mm. uh, in due course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the, the photograph of Alice Rowan that she's working from, um, and it's Alice sitting down with a dog at her feet, funnily enough, there's a dog <laughs> going to be in this, uh, with an easel and the most outrageous hat you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. Um, and so that's the photo she's going to be working from to create this, this sculpture. So it's Great. all terribly exciting. So, that is exciting. Yeah. So Hopefully. the Mount Macedon Hort Society is going to be um, the parent body for it because, of course, as soon as you start setting up a committee to do something like this, if it's a standalone committee, you've got to get incorporation, you've got to open bank accounts, you've got to get insurance, you've got a multitude of things mm. to do. So um, due to my good auspices, the Horticultural Society has now stepped up and said, well, it can just be a subcommittee of the Hort Society. Yeah. So our treasurer will manage the funds uh, and it's an already incorporated body, so the funds can get raised through that. And so we've sort of jumped ahead about three steps, I think, by becoming a subcommittee from the Hort Society. So, uh, yes, I'm very excited by it. And, uh, yes, once we've got uh, all the paperwork in order and I get the bank account details and all that sort of thing, we'll let people know if they want to get involved. I think it's a very worthwhile thing. And Alice Rowan, like a lot of Australian women painters, was in some ways poo-pooed in her lifetime by the establishment Mm. Um, and in fact a large body of her work was turned down by one of the large galleries that she offered for free Uh, and they went ah woman painter who needs that stuff Mm. Um, and her paintings now bring quite high prices Mm. Um, they're quite valuable I saw a catalogue recently where the person who'd been at the auction uh, had written down the prices which I think is always (laughs) fantastic in the catalogue and some of her bigger works were getting $25,000 that sort of Mm. price bracket she's having a Julia Roberts moment in Pretty Woman. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. So, <laughs> um, and, um, and, of course, being a daughter of Mount Macedon, well, it all seems to fit quite nicely. We're hoping eventually to have an Alice Rowan prize for our botanic art um, exhibitions that we have at Mount Macedon biennially. Great. So hopefully there'll be a, uh, an ongoing prize if we raise enough funds to uh, to then give to one of the artists uh, at, our, at our shows. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things that are sort of falling into place with it, I think, Great. which is really quite exciting. And yeah, it's just, fantastic. I just looked up her name and it's E-L-L-I-S. Yes, Because I Alice. was thinking Alice, like as in yeah. Yeah, Alice. Oh, no, it's Alice. Alice. So was I, yeah. Yeah, no. yeah sorry, I probably Alice. didn't pronounce no, it clearly no, enough. You right. did, actually, once I saw it and yeah. heard you say it. I was like, no, he is saying it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I not just, my weird stutter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, she was quite an impressive woman. So, uh, and... There's been books and things written about her and she shows up in all sorts of other books on famous people in Australia and what have Mm. you. Uh, It's well worth looking out for some of her information. Probably if you Googled her on Wikipedia, it'll give you a good uh, basic thing about her life (laughs) and what she did. So, yeah, go for it. Beautiful. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I did just find one other community announcement. Um, The Friends of Mary Creek are having a planting day at the Strettle Wetland in Thornbury, um, starting at 10 a.m. till 12.30 p.m. this morning. Um, Strettle Wetland, Thornbury. I love this. They've got the Melways reference, 30B3 (laughs) or... um, 
chuck Strettle Wetland into Google Maps. Uh, BYO is, Gardening Club, Gardening Gloves, some light refreshments. I was going to say, is it B, BYO Gumboots if it's a wetland? <laughs> probably, yeah, probably wear some waterproof yeah. shoes too. Yeah, yep. yeah, I think that would be a wise yep. move. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster, and in the studio with me today is Tex Moon, Stephen Ryan, and Sandra Swartz. There's already been some very efficient listeners that have texted in the show. So I'm just going to put out our numbers and then we'll get to those messages. So if you want to jump on air with us and ask your questions and have a chat, the number is 94190155. Our text message line, if you haven't got it already, is 0488809855. Uh, and we can't accept images via the text line. You'll have to email them to us, gardening at 3cr.org.au, and that is the email address to send community announcements to if you have any. So, panel, text messages. Here we go. All right. Uh, listener has had some dieback in their elderberry bushes. Is this normal, they ask? Also, they've heard that different varieties have different flavours, and Stephen, have you found this with your collection? Right. Well, yes, I hold the national collection of Sam Booker's for the uh, garden. Uh, well, what was the Garden Plants Conservation Association of Australia, and now is quite sensibly called Plant Trust. Um, and can't remember how many cultivars and things I've got now. I've only got two basic species, but I've got quite a range yeah. of cultivars. I did plant one or two of the herbaceous perennial ones. I need to find out they took off across my garden so fast I couldn't breathe. It was just <laughs> incredible how fast they grew. It took me ages to get rid of them. Uh, but the shrubby ones are a lot more manageable. Uh, they are inclined to get dieback in them. Uh, it seems to be a natural uh, sort of consequence of their growth habit. And I go through them in the early spring when the shoots are just starting to come so I can see which branches are alive and which aren't and just clean out any of the dead wood through them um, I have noticed I'm getting a little bit of some sort of black spotting disease in them which may just be due to the fact we've had three very damp seasons uh, it may clean itself up a bit if we have a drier season this coming year as far as flavours concerned I haven't found with elder flowers if I'm making cordials uh, any particular difference in flavour between the different cultivars but the cultivars that get purple leaves tend to get pale pink flowers and the cultivars that have variegated or green leaves tend to have white flowers and if you make cordial from them the pink flowered ones tend to make a rosé coloured cordial but the flavour seems to be basically mm. the same so I haven't seen any yeah. difference in the flavour um, and uh, so some years I try and concentrate on the pink flowered ones so they get a different coloured cordial and other years I'll try and concentrate on the white flowered ones uh, for that sort of cordial um, and we make enough cordial every year to keep us going the whole year. Well. Uh, with a few bottles to give away to people who are really important to us. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm yet to receive my yeah, bottle. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah, that's right, exactly. So, yeah, so the yeah, elder, be, be warned though, elderflowers, as much as I enjoy them and I've got, as I said, a, a national collection um, in certain areas can get quite weedy. Uh, I mean, if you're picking most of the flowers for making cordials, well, then they're not going to produce berries, so therefore they're not going to produce seed. So if you're assiduous about making cordial or elderflower um, champagne or whatever else you're doing with the flowers, you can actually make elderflower fritters, which is quite oh, fun. Yeah, very, very light beer batter, and you dip the whole flower head with the stem into the batter and then fry it, and the stem then becomes a handle. 
Great. And yum, they're yum. actually yummy. Yeah, it would be uh, yum. Yeah, but you've got to cook them and eat them immediately. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's not one of those things you make a whole plate of them and hand them out. Uh, you're oh, cooking wow. them and passing like, them to people as you cook them. Uh, super immediate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so elderflower fritters. Uh, so you can do all those things with elderflowers. And, of course, they're... You can also make pies and jams and wine and things from the berries. And for those who don't know, elderflowers in certain areas of the world are very good for keeping witches away. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I've been trying to find a way to keep some witches away from me at the moment. Well, it depends on where you are because in some parts of the world it apparently is a witch deterrent and in other parts of the world it's where witches have their covens. (laughs) 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 So so I'm not sure. And, of course, the most important thing about elderflowers is that the stems make really good panpipes. So just think that's true. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> All right. What a useful group of plants. So, yeah. so many fun facts about elderflowers just now. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, as the national collection holder, I feel the need to know as much as I can yeah, about my I, collection. I, I like your responsibility. Yeah. Well okay. Uh, our, another efficient listener, Cheryl, um, has texted in before the show started. So, panel. Cheryl has a pine stump that's been ground out, which has created a large amount of sawdust. It's an area that she wants to plant perennials. Does she need to do anything before planting or should and or should she leave the shavings as a mulch? Uh, yeah, look, I think think mulch, the mulch is good and, and it will, will be a good mulch there. We were talking earlier about I think it's worth having some sort of nitrogen um, getting that into the soil just to start that breakdown um, process that... Um, I guess the other thing to think about is would be your pH, making sure that if you are planting perennials that, that you, you're not sort of getting to the acidic side too much. But um, I don't mm, know. Maybe a bit of lime as well. Lime. Yeah. Oh, lime's mm. always good Put for down the, a bit of lime. Yeah. It'll help rot down the... They'll both help. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and it'll rebalance because... Um, Tex is right, uh, any conifer, uh, if you've got lots of sawdust from it, tends to be quite acidic, mm. um, which is fine if you're planting a bed of rhododendrons and azaleas, yeah. but maybe not so good for some other things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, blueberries would love yeah. it. Um, uh, so, so you, I mean, there's probably a decent hole left from the, being, the stump being yeah. ground out, so I'd probably put some fresh topsoil yeah, back I'd mix in there. Some and soil, yeah. but, but mix in some soil with a bit of blood and bone and maybe yeah. a bit of lime as yeah. well. Yeah. And yeah. I probably wouldn't plant immediately. I'd wait for the rotting down process to get well underway. Normally, if I've got a mulch over, I don't worry about how fresh the mulch is because it's on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's through the soil, I would like to think that you'd let it sort of settle for a yeah. wee while. So probably rake back the sawdust as much as you can. Mm. Yeah, And then and prepare then the ground it, yeah. and then put the sawdust back on top, how, perhaps. How, how, what period of time would you give it before planting in there? Well, couple of months yeah so i wouldn't be planting too early no uh, the other thing you've got to remember if you've got a stump being ground out there's every likelihood of some soil subsidence as well which is really hard to say first thing on some <laughs> um, so you know it may sort of start to sort yeah. of sink uh, and that could be an issue as well because your perennials could end up down in a hole mm. so you need the soil to settle down again yeah, I'm just thinking like from now a couple of months you're getting into mid-spring, wouldn't mm. want to plant any later than mid-spring given no. we potentially might be having a dry summer. Yeah, well, there is that so issue. So you could, you could rest it until autumn. Well, that would be 
probably preferable yeah. long term. Yeah, I would prefer to patient, do that as well. Yeah, as long as you're yeah. patient yeah. enough. I mean, if your perennials were coming out of pots uh, and you've got access to town water, uh, there's no reason. I mean, they settle very quickly. Yeah. Uh, within a matter of a couple of weeks, their root system will be going mad. It's not like planting trees and things that take time to get sort of settled in. Uh, so you still could plant in the late spring if they're coming out of pots, but I wouldn't want to be doing uh, perennial divisions and things no. that mm. late in the season. No. Um, right. Yeah, so it might be worthwhile considering it as a slightly more long-term project. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully there's some good options there for you, Cheryl, and thanks for messaging in so early. Uh, we've got a caller on the line. Bit of a reach this morning. Um, <laughs> Di in Northcote, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, we are very well, Di. You are our producer, aren't you? Yes. So she listens to the show even when she's not in producing and keeping us in mind. I, I think that shows dedication. Oh, yeah. she's wonderful. <laughs> I do. I, I love it. Um, and I've got a question that's really burning burning me at the moment. I finally bought myself an Oxalis Palmer frond. Yeah. Because um, I've wanted one for a long time. And I also finally learned to read about where it comes from before I plot it up because I've <laughs> made this mistake a lot of times. But what I wanted to ask is, is it all right if I put it into a potting mix, an ordinary potting mix, which obviously would have bark in it um, and some perlite? Considering where it comes from, I thought maybe not bark potting mix. Yeah, look, I, I use my normal potting mix for all my ornamental oxaluses, which includes parmafrons. Um, and as long as it's a reasonably well-drained potting mix, I don't think it matters. Uh, oh, the, good. the plant is quite hardy. The only thing I find really interesting about parmafrons is, I mean, the foliage is what you buy it for yeah. anyway. Its foliage is just drop-dead gorgeous. Um and, in fact, I saw it for the first time when I was in South Africa. I just happened serendipitously to go to the Botanic Gardens in Cape Town and the local Indigenous Bulb Growers Association had a show on. And they had gladioli's that were about three inches tall. They had they had romuleas, the onion weed with flowers, about three inches wide. Uh, I mean, the things that were in that display were just outrageous and I wandered around with my mouth open. Um, and the plant of the day for me was my first sighting of Oxalis parmafrons mm. and it was just a single rosette of the leaves growing in about a I suppose a four inch pot yeah. uh, and it was just perfect it was like you know the leaves were sort of big towards the outside and they gradiated in and it was just the most perfect little mound yeah. and I'm standing there looking at this thing and this one of the locals came up and said oh and it gets white flowers and I said who cares <laughs> <laughs> and um and in fact it doesn't often flower well in pots Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It needs to get itself out in the ground where its little bulbs can go quite deep. They do go deep, yeah. Yeah, and if you can get it out in the ground and, and deeply, it gets a very pretty uh, blush white flower, quite large, normally just before the leaves completely break out. So it sort of is preemptive in its flowering, uh, but it rarely, if ever, flowers in pots. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This one has got um, a baby one, not just one rosette, but a baby on yep. the side. Why don't I try the baby one in the garden? Where would it... Well, wait till the plant dies down. 
Oh, okay. And then separate your bulbs. And yes, if you've got another, if you've got more than one rosette in the pot, you could put one of the bulbs in the ground somewhere in a well-drained, sunny rock garden is probably the place to look for. Um, uh, I've got it in what I call my oxalarium, <laughs> uh, where I've I've nestled in a whole pile of different ornamental oxaluses. Um <laughs> And it just finds its own way around. It moves. It doesn't stay put. It tends to waft around a bit. uh, So you're never quite sure each year where it's going to come up. Mm. Um, And it hasn't flowered the last three years because we've had too much dampness in the summer. Mm. Uh, But if we get a proper summer this year, it'll probably flower for me next autumn again. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. But, yeah, a normal potting mix. I mean, I don't change my potting mix for anything. If I can't grow... A plant in the potting mix I'm already using, then I don't grow the plant because it's just okay. too much fiddle and faff yeah. to to uh, adapt your potting mix for every different style of plant you're growing. And I find the ornamental oxalis, including parmafrons, pretty easy going really, as long as they're dry in the summer. So- oh, that's fantastic to to know that. Well, I'm going to try the little one in the driveway because mm. that's where I put a lot of my things like nareens and stuff. Yeah, look, if the nareens are doing well. Uh, the oxala should be perfectly happy in the same bed. Oh, that's very exciting. Thank you. Mm. That's that. a pleasure. And I will keep one in a pot because I just want to look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is yeah. just the most fabulous foliage plant. I mean, I was so excited by it uh, when I saw yeah. it in South Africa and I got back here and I thought, ah, oh, probably not in Australia, can't get the thing, I've never heard of it. Uh, and I rang up a friend of mine who, in fact, it was a big collector and actually uh, seller of South African bulbous material. And I said to Gary, have you ever heard of this Oxalis parmafrons? And he said, well, actually, I've got this Oxalis here that a lady gave me and she called it parmafrons. It sounds like the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, well, have you got a spare bulb? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was the first thing I asked for. And I said, how did she get it? And he said, well... I don't know whether it was her or a girlfriend or whoever, but somebody smuggled a bulb of it in in their bra from New Zealand. Uh-oh. <laughs> we were talking about this not that long yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, that sort of thing still going on. How people get away with it, I've no idea. Uh, but because I wasn't responsible for the original importation <laughs> of this plant, I take no responsibility. Hands are clean. Yeah, my yeah. hands are clean, and it's a great little plant, and uh, it can't do any harm. It's not going to become the next nasty sort of environmental weed. It just has and got the capacity. Good to hear. Yeah, so Good it's a very hear. safe yeah. little one, even though it does move around a yeah. bit. No, I was going to say because because I remember having a good conversation about parmafrons on on this show once before, and we had a, a caller call in with a very stern warning about it becoming weedy. And I thought, yeah, I, I'm. I, can't, uh, no. I mean, as you say, the bulbs go deep. Yeah, you so can't you, get it out once you've got it. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make something weedy. No, no. It, no. Yeah. and it stays so flat to the ground. I can't imagine what it could swamp. Mm. Yeah, okay. So, you know, so yes, you won't get it out of the garden once you've got it in yeah. there, but um, uh, it's certainly not a weedy plant I, as far as I'm concerned. I'm still waiting for one to pop up in my garden because, of course, I had mine and, I, and I'd clearly written on it what it was and mm. don't touch, but it might have succumbed to my wife throwing... Oh, no. Potting, the, 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 it's the an empty pot. plant syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping it does pop up somewhere at yeah. some point. Well, it's yeah. out now if it, did, yeah, if no, it was out it, there yeah. somewhere, Tex. Um, oh, we might be out of luck this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've got uh, it in pots. All right, Di. Um, oh, okay. All the best. You. I think you're going to be okay with it. Yeah, sounds like, sounds like it might go. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks very much. Bye. Okay, bye. Okay, our other producer, Susie, has texted in a couple of uh, suggestions. Thank you, Susie. So she couldn't recommend Helena's Cooking Up Compost Workshop more. She loved it. 
um, learnt so much and uh, Helena also has a beautiful garden. She's a wonderful tutor. Definitely worth the drive to Geelong and make a day of it. Roy yeah. Rama Nursery and the yeah. Geelong Botanic Gardens. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. What a good idea. Yeah, it's absolutely. always a great day out. I yeah. was just down at the Geelong Botanic Gardens this week. Yeah. And mm. um, I, I don't think I'd been there for probably 20 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's That's changed just, a lot in 20 and, years. Well, yeah, you know, the that 21st century garden at yeah. the front was only pretty new when I was there last time. Mm-hmm. And it's like you were saying about your menagums when you think, oh, God, plants do grow. Yes. You know, it's amazing <laughs> when you just go back and see how much things are like. The bottle trees there are, are huge. The yeah. cortexes on those are oh, massive. Incredible plants. Yeah. And, of course, they've got their next new bit, the, mm. the Pacific Rim Garden. Yeah, 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 with the Alistair at, Watt. Yeah. yeah, so, and it's got all sorts of really interesting plants in there, mainly small at this stage because it's a mm. fairly new part of the garden. But it's really good to see botanic gardens, particularly provincial ones like Geelong, not just living off their laurels and sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, moving forward and yeah. doing yep. new stuff and yep. you know, adding yeah. to what they've got. Uh, I think Geelong Botanic Gardens is, uh, well, I don't think it's an unknown, but it's certainly not as well known as it should be mm. uh, as a place for garden lovers to flock to because it just is the most wonderful yeah. garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially yeah, as one of the really early ones too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, you can go and pat the ginkgo tree that's well over 100 years old mm. uh, and it's... That's Amazing, mm. absolutely oh, that, fabulous, that and, that, and that huge wine palm, the Jubea chiliensis, mm. uh, that's uh, growing in the garden there. That probably dates <laughs> back to the first director of the gardens there, I would imagine. They've uh, got a good mix of a lot of different design styles, and it yeah. all still works. They've got the really modern additions that they've yeah. done in the last, you know, couple of decades. But then there's the really beautiful heritage components of yeah. it yeah. as well. Yeah. It all sort of works. Oh, it does. It's fabulous. Yeah. It's really, really good garden. So, yes, definitely recommend Geelong Botanic Gardens. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. Fermi is on the line. Good oh. morning, Fermi. You have an Oxalis warning for oh, us? Here we go. <laughs> Fermi, yes, yeah. Palmer Fronds moves around, but has it swamped anything in your garden? Yes. What? <laughs> Other Oxalis. <laughs> um, look. It, it not only moves around, it moves around at a great pace, and it can get through the smallest crack in in between rocks. Yeah. Uh, it is, I can, you need to come and see our garden, Stephen, and see how it is migrating from, um, from a spot in a garden, in a bed that I thought was a trough, mm. but basically it, there were cracks in it that it was able to get through, and it is also seeded across into uh, a bed on the other side of the path. Well, Either that go. or a bird has scratched up a bulb. And yeah, well, that's always possible too, of course. Um, um, but ours, ours do flower regularly. It didn't flower. Well, I didn't see it. I may have been away when they were flowering this year. Yeah, I haven't had it flower for the last couple of years, and I, I was yeah. putting it down to the um, the damp the summers yeah. uh, as the possible uh, reason for that. And, in fact, if anything, I think my palmer fronds in my oxalarium went backwards in the last three years. I think I lost some of it, uh, so it went in the reverse direction there's still plenty of it there i'm not worried about it but it actually went backwards but yes one person's weed is another person's cherished plant if you uh, want another few hundred come on over that's all right i can sell them (laughs) with a a very deep trowel yeah well that was the other problem of course once it's entrenched in the garden if i don't keep my stock plants in pots where i can find the bulbs there's no point in digging around in the garden trying to find them well the other thing is that if you dig it up and you don't get the bulb you can actually plant those. Um, you, I've potted them up before, just those 
uh, bits that don't have bulb on them. Oh, yeah, they'll root, and yeah. They'll, they'll form new bulbs. Yes, I did that with so, a completely un, uh, different oxalis that um, I found growing in the local cemetery. So I was in there yeah. digging up a good sort, and um, uh, it was... I couldn't get it out because the soil was just hard pan clay, uh, but I did break some stems off and I bought the stems back thinking, all right, well, let's see what happens here. And, yeah, they struck like you're cutting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, um, so there you go. Yes, I know you don't have – well, do you still like palmer fronds, though, uh, oh, it's, it's great, but I would always say – and I'm, we've got some for the plant store for the conference, which is next month. All right. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just that it's uh, it's – not something I'd ever let into the garden, um, certainly north of the divide. So um, it may be safe in Macedon. Well, it's, uh, it's been in there for best part of 10 years and it's never really moved yeah. all that far. Maybe your mm. your cooler climate keeps it contained. Mm. You might but have as, to a, be... as I said before, it grows so flat to the ground uh, that I know its leaves will fall onto anything that's around it, um, but uh, it's pretty hard for it to kill anything else, I think. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, it basically it swamps the area where it's growing, and uh, nothing else that comes up grows at the same time actually does any good. So, you know, things like crocus and things have actually been swamped by it. And, uh, well, see, this serves you right for growing so many tiny, dainty little plants for me. <laughs> uh, well, this, this bed was, was, this part of the garden was a, was a, was a trough between rocks. Yeah. And uh, we thought, oh, this is a, a trough that I can plant little dainty things. Yes. And, uh, but the oxalis just took off. And uh, oh, well. I warned people about it. I've got a friend in South, South Australia I've told, do not plant this out, and then some ladies are, ooh, uh, yeah, it's moving a bit. Yeah, yeah, well, it will. But anyhow... As I said, I love it, Fermi. So I'm not. I'm not going to say anything <laughs> negative about Oxalis Palmerfronts. Yeah. All right, Fermi. So there's a warning. Warning but, yes, heeded. Your warning, yes, your warning, warning is heated. taken. Absolutely. And, and I, I think Tex, I was the one who rang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to name and shame you, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was you. <laughs> yeah. Look, and I, and I love Oxalis. You know, they're they're some of my favourite bulbs. Um, I've been taken to task by one of the local. Um, um, I wrote about them in um, in the Reedsdale uh, Ramblings, which I write for the I wrote used to write for the uh, local newsletter, and uh, one of the locals wrote this letter blasting me for it, and I was asked, "Do I want to have a write a reply to it?" And I said, "No, what's the point? No, neither <laughs> of us is going to change our mind." Well, exactly. Uh, and uh, he said something like, "Oh, Oxalis Herter is a real pest No, no it's I'll, not. I'll, <laughs> yeah. And that year, I started to find seedlings, ah, well, and it is seeding all through the rock garden. Yeah, but and so I'm do your done. bloody crocuses, and you know, yeah. uh, and you know all those other bulbs. They all tend to seed all over the I, place I, too. I wish crocus would do as much as this. I've got crocus thomasinianus coming up in my lawn. Oh, good. I'll come and but but I haven't got any oxalis doing that. Actually, I've got a cyclamen repandum come up in the lawn this year. <laughs> Do a plant swap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So everything yeah. can self seed, and that just means it's happy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you're in the um, the community announcements, you didn't mention the conference, Stephen. 
Sorry, oh, okay. I didn't have it in front of we're, me. We're so going to talk about it in a sec. Fermi, we've got a couple of um, other okay, text messages to get through. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we will that's have a chat right. to it because I've booked my ticket, so thanks we're going to get to it this morning. All right, good. Okay. All right, thanks take care, thanks, Fermi. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, before we get on to some of those text messages, I'm going to put the spotlight on you, Sandra. You are sitting here. You are <laughs> present. It's your second time on the show, so yes. welcome again. <laughs> Thank you. You've come back. <laughs> yeah. Pulled yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning. Um how long have you been working in landscape architecture for? Uh, three years now. Three years? Yes, I'm a career changer. What did you do beforehand? So I was a visual arts uh, secondary teacher for nearly, well, around 20 years. Really? Overseas and here. And then, yeah, got a bit inspired by a year 10 class that I was teaching in tech drawing that was about gardens and just getting as excited as the kids about designing those. and sort of checked into what else could I possibly do because when you come out of teaching it's a little bit tricky because you don't really know like you know how to teach but you Mm. don't know what you can't translate those skills and um yeah so had a look into it and went back to my boss and said hey you know that stuff I taught year 10 and send all my kids to uni to I'm gonna go back and learn that (laughs) and went into landscape architecture Yes. That's fascinating. Yep. That's scary doing a career change. That's, yeah. And it's a big career change yeah. too, not was. just a little sidestep. Um, oh, look, I, I think it was more a pivot just because I came from design. Like I was teaching visual communication yeah, okay. already, so it wasn't um, a complete – I mean, often you sort of – we joke about having accountants become – garden designers and you sort of think how do those two connect but whereas I feel well, like they probably keep their a... books in good order which yeah, exactly. most of us horticulturalists <laughs> probably don't <laughs> yes no but mine was more just a, a swivel yeah. yeah I think so yeah and then went overseas as part of that as well so I ended up doing a double master in in landscape architecture was it Sweden that you went over to it was yeah so I went over to it's a place called Alnarp the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences and, um, yeah, just stayed there for the two years instead of just the one credit that I would have got. So got that over there and got introduced to environmental psychology, um, which has become my sort of pet passion uh, within this field. And then, yeah, came back and did my last six months back at Melbourne Uni, where I'd also got my teaching degree and then promptly graduated into COVID, which was fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, now, you just mentioned environmental psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, you wrote an article for Encouraging Women in Horticulture yep. just recently. Yeah, there's around a, a, about yes. that, which yep. is a bit of a passion project for you, isn't it? It is. So there's, um, yeah, it's part one of two parts, introducing some of the women that work in that field uh, for the um, EWHA newsletter. So part two is about to come out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, my passion project really is that um, – What I looked into from a design point of view uh, in Sweden and then translated into practical kind of propositions and checking whether Scandinavia was was similar to Australia um, was all about what are the qualities that are in restorative garden design that you as a designer can implement or or build a foundation from so that you can then um, support the programs or you know, possible uses that come into those spaces and ever since have thought about how can I share that information and how can I, you know, how can it be useful for everyone because there's a real disconnect between the academic research and the practical implementation. So whilst there's a lot of nice gardens out there, there's still a lot of hurdles and and blocked blocks to implementing those kinds of places in uh, particularly healthcare. 
Um, but yes, yeah, so I decided finally to turn it into a book, and that's that's my passion project at the yeah. moment of making it a reference book um, that shares examples of what that can look like, and also understanding that there's um, gradients of any and all of those qualities, because a lot of what's out there is about the typology. So it might be, you know, a book or information about a dementia garden and what that needs or a sensory garden for children and what that needs, whereas what my research sort of found was looking at those qualities as a across-the-board universal level. Mm-hmm. Um, so they differ depending on who the user is, but that they are you know, you should be considering those qualities regardless of what you're doing. So so is, does, do you sort of mean that you're looking for the benefits that a sensory garden for kids can provide but also it is also serviceable for a, for a whole heap of other... Yeah, so one of the one things. of the categories that that sort of came out of the thesis was um, was sensory, for example, like sensory elements. So um, so it would be looking at not necessarily a specific sensory garden in itself, but looking at that is one version of using those elements. But also when it comes to, for example, the stress rehabilitation that was happening in Scandinavia, um, water elements, for example, uh, and rocks and and that sort of thing and and making sure that there's um, locally grown, you know, produce that you can um, taste and and witness in the garden, that sort of thing, uh, and how you can bring that in. So that was for stress rehabilitation in the case of then for example, with the cancer care that's often in that I looked at for the Maggie centres that are in the UK, it's more about uh, the dominance of smell and that that can actually be a bit off-putting, especially uh-huh. when people have had cancer care and are going through chemo um, and it becomes too much. So I guess what I'm saying with my book is that with some of those qualities, you're thinking about how to put sensory elements in, but you're actually looking at who is your audience? Do they need the sensory? Do they want it? What kinds of sensory elements work well for them? But also that in some situations you actually want to dampen it, like you you don't want the the stimulation of the senses, mm. as for like the autistic spectrum and and that sort of thing. So it's it's, I guess what I'm trying to raise is that as a consideration to a designer, think about this, ask ask the question about how does that affect your user. Mm. and then design appropriately. Okay. You mentioned a term I haven't heard until like five minutes ago, um, (laughs) environmental psychology just before. Where does that sit in terms of therapeutic horticulture? Have you guys heard of? It's like the umbrella term of it in a way. So enviro psychology umbrella term for therapeutic horticulture? Yeah, it's like the broader broader kind of topic where that all comes from. So I'm part of Therapeutic Horticulture Australia. That's what I got into uh, once I got back here and I'm on their education subcommittee and hence why that's what I wrote for EWHA. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, I guess, therapeutic horticulture and I guess just to be clear with that, that in the UK and, and the US, they're registered professions that are horticultural therapists and I always put the emphasis on the latter word because that's really what you're doing. So it's about therapy over there. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, we are about therapeutic horticulture. So it's more about the horticulture side and not necessarily as a, a formal therapy. Um, and certainly the people that are in that field here are, are generally, they're, they're, if they're a therapist, they're going to be a therapist pre the horticulture side mm. um, because there's no training yet. That's what we're working on at the moment. Um, so 
the programs that look at therapeutic horticulture are about supporting people within horticultural places. It's what Stephen Wells does at, at the Royal Talbot, where I volunteer once a week. And, uh, yeah, it's looking at how those programs can um, support but not necessarily be used as a formal therapy. And environmental psychology is would be the umbrella term for that maybe sits above all of that in the sense that it's how how do people experience their environment and what benefits and support can be within that. So that's what environmental psychology looks at. So it, it's looking at like what are the preferred uh, elements or qualities that are in urban green spaces, what are, um, you know, ha- what kinds of gardens and things help how does forest bathing comes into all of that? So it's it's trying to understand, I guess, the psychology of how you live and experience your environment. And how does having all that flying around your head mm-hmm. input into the designs that you do? Because you work with Andrea Proctor Landscapes Correct. and do yep. some um, botanic gardens and and re- in the city and regional projects as well. Yep. How does it impact or play into your designing? I think it's. There's a certain element, it's like water-sensitive urban design where you just get to a point where it's just part of what you're thinking about all the time. Mm. Um, so certainly I think those the qualities that have come out of my research are always front in mind. Um, it's also just, I think, awareness that that just gets sort of built into what you do naturally. So I am trying, I was just talking to someone the other day about trying to make some kind of checklist that just to confirm you're thinking about these things that are really important. But um, but I think there's a certain point where you, it's just sort of naturally in in what you do rather than a, a ticker box. Um, yeah. But, yeah. 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 And um, my last question, just for this little spotlight, um, sure. what's your favourite plant? <laughs> I, that's the one that had me going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, it always does. Yeah, because yeah, it's like how do you just choose one? Well, you, you can tell me your favourite family or maybe your favourite genera. I know it's really hard. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's even harder. Yeah. yeah. Or the yeah. one you're standing next to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Um, look, I'm a big fan of grevilleas um, in general, but in my garden um, I really love, which are just coming to an end, is the Nephophia hot pokers, the winter cheer. Uh, and and also, I guess kangaroo paws uh, are some of my favourites. Beautiful, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, if people want to, if people want to read a bit more about what you've written, so the it's you've written an article in the Encouraging Women in Horticulture's newsletter. Is that Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. So part one um, was earlier. The, well, the the latest one, and part two I think is coming out September. Mm-hmm. And then I've also written some for uh, the Global Gardens of Peace newsletter so and, and I'm writing again for them as well about sensory gardens actually. And your research, can people access that? Yes, anyhow? so if, if, you, if you research my name and um, type in SLU, which is the acronym for the Swedish University, you can it will actually directly take you to my thesis if somebody wants to get really heavily into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, you can cherry pick. I just about cherry cherry pick. as soon as you said thesis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> well, it's, it's so funny because it was once I did environmental psychology there, um, I said to my classmates, I'm like, I know my topic already. This is straight into it and I think I'm one of the few freaks who did not get sick of writing her thesis. I (laughs) I was like, this is just so fascinating and I've been loving writing the book because it's just like I 
digging into this stuff where there's so many rabbit holes and so much yeah. to understand is yeah. is fascinating. But I do get that a thesis is not going to be for everyone. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, that's available. And other than that, stay tuned because in the next couple of years hopefully the book will come out. So. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right, let's get to a couple of text messages. Um, Francisco has messaged in saying, uh, agreeing, Stephen, you're right, um, right about elderflowers not changing flavour, but the flower colours um, do change the, the flavour concentration depending on weather and picking time. Um, but they do want to know, will it take more than elderflower to keep witches away and why? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on where you're from because, you know, all this mythology around elderflowers, I mean, elders go right back to, uh, as far as their sort of mystique, goes right back to Druid times and earlier. Um, so in certain parts, I think in Scandinavia, I think they believe that witches have their covens under them in England and Scotland and so forth it's the opposite they keep witches away so you plant them along your boundary to stop witches getting in um, so it really depends on where you are um, and maybe what your um, definition of a witch is <laughs> who knows yeah. uh. all right um, a listener Priscilla has um, sent in a message she has lots of rocks in her garden amongst roses and geraniums and is wondering if she removes them, does she need to improve the soil? Now, when she says rocks, are we talking about a pebble mulch or are we talking about yeah. boulders? Big boulders. We're getting... Big boulders, right. All right, so big boulders. All right, if she's removing the rocks out of the garden beds... Um, I think it is the time to probably do something about improving soil because they've probably been sitting there for quite a long time. Uh, the ground is being used up by the roses and other plants during that period. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to dig over the ground or anything because if you've got existent roses in there, you don't want to start tampering with their root systems. But I would certainly get some good compost and organic material and you know throw that over the garden beds and then put a nice mulch over the top of that um, and perhaps throw in some dynamic lifter or some uh, blood and bone animal manure anything you can lay your hands on with your compost and then mulch over the top of that and then the worms and other microorganisms and stuff will then take the work in hand and mm. uh, and and take all that stuff down into the ground that's mm. what i'd do cool yep all right yeah i don't dig except in the veggie garden i still dig a fair bit but most of my garden doesn't get dug anymore uh, once i prepared my ground in the first place because i had yellow clay so i didn't have soil uh so i had to prepare ground uh once i got it prepared then i just mulch yeah uh, and i'll put down mm. a compost and then i'll put mulch on top of it i bring home the coffee grounds from the local cafe um you know i, I keep putting more and more stuff in in fact a friend's one, friend once said that i put the second story on our house because the first one was disappearing under the mulch. <laughs> uh, so I'm a compulsive yep. mulcher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And my, so I was flicking weeds out of the ground the other day. As I said, I'm weeding like mad since I came back from overseas. Um, and the soil is edible. It's just so beautiful now after all these mm. years. I mean, it's this fluffy, almost black, humus-rich stuff. And when I think back on what I started with 30-odd years ago, um, there's just no comparison. Yeah. Uh, and I can now dig down quite deep yeah. if I want to plant something. Uh, I can dig a hole down probably at least 12 to 18 inches in the old measurements and still have good soil. 
that's how thoroughly I prepared it in the first well place. It's all I've that got layering. the bag back to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and Craig Wilson says the same thing. Yeah. He just he's a huge fan of mulching yeah. whenever yeah. yeah. It makes life so much easier. It does. It really Mul- does. <clears throat> mulching, you know, neutralizes your soil. Oh, just it insulate it does everything. Yeah. It does yeah. everything. Yeah. Best stuff out. Yep. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have Tex Moon, Stephen Bryan and Sandra Swartz in the studio with me this morning. If you want to call in and have a chat to us, the number is 94190155. The text message line is 0488 If you want to see some of the plants that we talk about, which we haven't got to yet, you can jump onto our Facebook and Instagram sites and our name is 3CR Gardening Show on both of those. And I did put my pictures up yesterday afternoon, so I'm assuming Good Liz has got the uh, images up. Yes, on the... and we do thank Liz for running our social yeah, media she's for fantastic. us. She's incredible. Mm. Um, our email address, if you want to send photos or ask us any questions, particularly if you're a podcaster, the email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au, and our podcast is available on any podcast app. Uh, so. Tex, I've been wanting to ask you, how is the Chelsea Garden going up ah, at the Dandy the Ch- Ranges? Chelsea Australian Garden at Alinda. Um, Sorry. Is, no, <laughs> it's, it's great. So we, um, every, for anyone that isn't aware of it, um, Philip Johnson designed Garden. Phil won um, Best in Show at the at the Chelsea um, Flower and Garden Show, I think. 2013. 2013, yeah. yeah. Um, and has... Recreated a scaled-up version of that of that design up at our garden at the Denong Ranges Botanic Garden in Alinda. Um, so yeah, seven thousand square meters of uh, massive naturalistic um, waterfall billabong with four hundred species of native plants. So so it's a it's a it's a, a big thing, and it's mm. and we opened it uh, just over a month ago. Mm. Um, I think it was in June, and. Um, it's been great. It's been actually really nice to sort of do something like that in winter, open up, you know, so we don't have that crazy spring peak that we're dealing with already and then, then opening a, a spectacle like that. It's, it, was, it was really good to open it then and have this sort of steady flow of people and, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's been received really, really well. Um, it's a garden in its infancy. It's a, mm. it's, although, although as far as infancy, you wouldn't, it's, it's a garden with... A lot of instant gratification. Yeah, <laughs> <it is. coughs> Excuse me. You don't have to grow the rocks. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, I was going to say they're the, amazing. The, the big the rocks rock are amazing. There. The the way that Phil he really has a knack for for creating that natural um, looking environment that 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 looks like it's been there for for a long time and mm. big advanced plants that went in there. But um, yeah. but yeah, you know, and then, but but you've got this in a public space, so we're seeing things that are working and not working. But it's that that's all part of the, the what, what you do in a garden, and yeah. um, and so yeah, it's been been fantastic. So visitor numbers have been steady, but not crazy. Yeah, yeah, steady, steady, and certainly um, up. I think oh, I wouldn't. I think we're about five thousand up on what this time last year for wow. that month. Um, wow. But but yeah, steady, and it is. You know, look, we we do put that warning out to people that, especially as we're getting closer and closer to spring and as we get nice days it, it is busy and we do have limited car parking so yep. the tip is always with our garden come on a weekday if you can yeah yep. get there early if you can we open at 10 o'clock and if you can get there as close to then as possible you've got your best chance of getting the car park yeah. so 
And yeah. how have is in the rest of the botanic garden? How have the how are the azaleas and and rhodes looking this year? Yeah, yeah. I think I I'm tipping we're going to have a pretty good spring this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Obviously, we've had um, some pretty friendly seasons over the last couple of years, and and it's looking like we, we're probably having a little bit of a drier spring potentially. So. So yeah, and I, I think we were saying earlier, I love this part at this time of year where you really start seeing that changeover from winter to spring, and mm. you got the big leaf rhododendrons mm. out at the moment, which are incredible. I did bring. I was going to say, let's, let's chat next about to me. it. <laughs> I mean, so size counts then, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm conscious. Of, I think I bring a big leaf in every time I do this show at this time of year, but and I'm conscious amazing. of the fact that we do this, and then. We all marvel at it, and none of the listeners can actually see what see me holding it up. We will make next, sure we get a photo next to my head. It's yeah. as big as a head that that yeah. inflorescence, yeah. and the smallest leaf is at least thirty centimeters. Yeah, yeah. smallest yeah. leaf. And it's yeah. and, they, and they are one of those plants that are getting more marginalised by climate change and things like that. There's very few places where you can see. See these? <laughs> There's very few places, probably Macedon and, and, yeah. and the yeah. Dandong Ranges, where yeah. you can still sort of grow these. And you and virtually can't buy them, which is no. sad, no. even if you want one. Yeah. Uh, that you know, you used to be able to get a few Sino Grandies and Grandies yeah. and things around through the wholesale part of the horticultural trade up in the Dandenongs. Yeah. But I haven't seen anybody with uh, any of the Grandy series for sale no. for I don't know how long. Well, and, and they are one of those tough plants too that if you even if you do find them and you can grow them, you're sort of waiting 10, 10 years. Oh, but that gives you something to live for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, I'm a great advocate of the slow gardening Absolutely. movement. Yeah, I, I agree. Yep. And um, But, yeah, so a really good reason to sort of get out and actually get into some of these public gardens to see. Because, as I say, these these are the early ones. This one's um, Magnificum, Rhododendron Magnificum. And it, oh, is that a species form or a particular cultivar? Uh, it's a variety of. Um, okay. I, I We don't have this one labelled, but I think the closest we get to is Magnificum mm. with it. The right. trouble um, with some of these big-leafed Rhododendrons is that a lot of them were seedling raised in the first yeah. place. And some of them were seedling raised from uh, domestic collected seed. Right. And so there's always that chance of a bit of hybridity in them. Yeah. So you always hedge your bets and you say, yeah, yeah. I think that's Sino-Grandy yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that sort of thing because you can't be dead sure unless it's wild collected seed. And I don't know whether the Rhododendron Society ever got wild collected seed for the roadies up there of no, the Grandy series. And, and if they did, that provenance information is has, gone. Has gone. Yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah, so yeah. we're sort of... But, you know, they're an incredible display plant. Um, as I say, there's not too many places where you can still see them in flower and now's the, the time to do it. Um, but, yeah, woodland, sort of montane species, um, Yunnan region, that kind of area. So, but, yeah, pretty spectacular. So there, there that's what's sort of, we've got a lot of that coming out. Pieris, which is always nice to see at this time yeah, of year. As, um, just such a good garden plant. Um, I think we mentioned earlier just the native bush around the the waddles. Yeah, we've got some really stuff really e- Even the, the your overflow car park amongst the mm. eucalyptus regions, yeah. you mm-hmm. just like you just feel so engulfed. They're so majestic and regal. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just even the car park. It's yeah, great. And, uh, yeah, and there is there is a great line of uh, of beautiful big leaf rhododendrons out there too yeah. that you can see as, yeah. soon as, as soon as you get there. So one plant that I do love in the in the garden up there is and it, when I'm up there with students everyone always stops and ogles at it is the Tibetan cherry mm. with oh, yeah. the, the scarlet shiny bark yeah, yeah. it's just 
It's so There's good. There's a better one, you know, and we haven't got it in Australia. Prunus rufa. Okay. I see it in gardens in France. Yeah. And... It gets white lines around the trunk oh, yeah, as well yeah. as the, yeah, yeah. the sort of the almost mahogany-coloured right. bark. Wow. And uh, Rufa is stunning and I just wish it was in Australia, but I've never seen it here, so I'm assuming it hasn't come into the okay. country. And Well, I don't see the Tibetan cherry. I can't remember its species name. I, Cerula. Cerula, thank you. I don't, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Um, it is available commercially. Yeah. You is can, it? Yeah, you can buy budded stock of it. I think Fleming's... Might still be growing it. Okay. JFT, I know, grow it. Um, so it's not I that stock rare. it occasionally, um, but the problem with it is as a young tree it doesn't look much and it's got very narrow leaves. It has white flowers that last about two seconds. Uh, well, it's the trunk. That it's is the, the trunk yeah. you buy it for. And of course, you can't sell them as a plant with a mm. trunk that's looking good because yeah, it no. takes time for those trunks yeah. to develop. So, that's what and even so... ours is quite young up there. You know, it's yeah. not. It's not at a point where it's it's sort of really yeah. got that that but it, that's interesting that that all of you guys marvel it's at it still when you get yeah. oh it's yeah, a, it's a yeah. great yeah, tree yeah it doesn't look yeah. like an old tree maybe i don't know 10 or 15 yeah. years or something yeah but uh yeah i look forward to watching it get older yeah. because yeah. if it's going to be all like all that scarlet and red it's just age. gorgeous like yeah. the red wine yeah plant it somewhere where you walk under it and look at the wine. trunks yeah, but yeah. you don't sort of look up yeah. Because it doesn't have a canopy of any particular note. Its leaves are fairly ordinary. They're inclined to get cherry slug. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the flowers are so ephemeral and so tiny mm. that they don't make much impact either. But then you'll plant a silver birch not expecting flowers exactly. and, you know, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, stunning foliage or whatever. Uh, I'm actually going through my photos to see if I can find you a picture of uh, Prunus rufa because I took a picture of it while I was in France <laughs> and... It just blows me away, and right, I can't well, remember which garden we were in where gonna, I saw it. I'm going to get to a couple of text messages while you're trying yeah, right. to uh, look for that. Uh, Anne from Northcote has ah. messaged in saying, good morning. May she have our thoughts on new hibiscus leaves coming out, they're white to pale yellow from the edge inward, next to a new fence built last November. Frost perhaps or treatment or is it pH going on? Well, it's early in the season for a hibiscus to be coming to leaf. It may just be early season growth. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very hard to, to... That's a tricky one. It, it's very hard to know without seeing the patient, yeah. so to speak. As, and uh, <laughs> this is always the... With text messages, isn't it? We, we get it and you don't get the, the interaction mm. where we can actually ask the questions and get the answers. So, yeah. yeah. Email in a photo, Anne, yep. if you can, or maybe give us a call. Um, but we, we just said before that spring is sort of being a little bit early. Yeah. It could be yeah. a response to it's putting on its new growth earlier and it's a bit paler than yeah. usual. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, that prunus is very pretty. <laughs> Isn't that it's something? It's like a zebra, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very impressive. Yeah. So, yes, it's it's one plant I'd love to bring in, but being rosaceous, it might be rather fun trying to get it through yeah. quarantine, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyhow. All right, and another text message coming in from Rosie in Mount Eliza. Can you put in a plug for Periander if you're going up to the Dandenongs? It's a beautiful garden right next to Craig's nursery at Gentiana. Lovely walks, fabulous collection mm. of pyrus, azaleas, and amazing trees. And it does uh, have yeah, amazing Periander's trees. fabulous. It yeah, is. and it's and it's the one, you know, we always say this again. We, we know we've got our popular sites up there, but if you can't get to the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden because it's too busy, 
Pirianda is only just down the road. Yeah, it's the love. You could almost yeah. walk. You it. could <laughs> almost walk there. You can stop in and see Craig at Gentiana, and then and then go for a walk. Um, Pirianda is beautiful, so it's mm. on Hackett's Road. What in about Alinda. the Tyndale Garden? Is that? Yep, still, still. Uh, again, I haven't been there a, for yonks. Yeah. It's, it's mm. a beautiful garden. There, we've so. I mean, the Dandenong Ranges, obviously, and like Macedon, there's there is so many gardens to go and have a look mm. at, and yeah. a lot of them are free. Um, mm. Some some you pay, but all of the public Parks Victoria managed ones are, are free. And yeah, George Tyndall Memorial Garden, Pirianda um, Garden, mm. are the two that are sort of that are less visited than than a lot of, than the other bigger ones. Like I that. only I'll just f- went there recently through Emma, actually. Yeah, and, they're, yeah. and they're both amazing. But yeah. it also took me ages to get to Alfred Nicholas, so which I'm very ashamed to say. That's, that's to go to. You go well. there in autumn. For I the know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh, Instagram yes, that made the, the final push. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, Rosie actually said in a message about Periander, it's never busy and yeah, absolutely never. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they've got a big uh, advanced. Handkerchief tree. Oh, yes, yeah, Davidia. Just love it. Yes, if you're there when that's in flower. It's yeah. so oh. cool. When yeah. you took us up to Elton last year, yeah. and they also have a gigantic old Davidian, you just don't see them around. Would they grow f- further they're, down? They're, you're pushing altitude? it once you get into suburban Melbourne. Oh. Um, we get too many hot winds in the summer, the yeah. leaves scorch. Okay. Um, uh, I've never seen a good Davidia and I'm hoping somebody will ring in and say but I've got one uh, around suburban Melbourne uh, I think you really do need to get into the cooler parts they grow mm. really well up in the northeast. you know mm. go up to Bright and Myrtleford yeah, yeah. all yeah. up through there the yeah. Davidias grow really well up there uh, and certainly the Dandenongs and Mount Macedon they do really well at what about like an east facing building would it's they grow possible. would they grow against but that? you need a big building yeah I know because they're, they're a big tree, big tree. <laughs> yeah. you're just yeah. trying to think of some options yeah just it was a and of course is another one of those things that it gives you something Where to live for because it takes years to flower yeah. yeah. from seed. Unless you buy the – there's a cultivar out there called, I think, Sonora. Uh, it's in the country but not available commercially to my knowledge at this stage. Uh, and it will flower from a metre-tall plant. Yeah, right. Oh, wow. uh, and it gets bigger flowers than the normal wild version of Davidia in Volucrata too. So the flowers are extra mm. big. Yeah, wow. Well. And uh, so – if you're, if you're really feeling your mortality, it would be worthwhile planting Sonora. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, pl- look, the foliage on Davidias is really good anyway. Yeah, and the autumn yeah. colour can be lovely. Um, so you've got things to entertain you while you're waiting for the flowers. <laughs> but it can take up to 10 years on a young, vigorous tree for it to right. start blooming. People plant peaches and nectarines and it can take that long before they start hitting their sprouts. Yeah, that's why we get all those yeah. phone calls about why isn't my peach and yeah. nectarine flowering. <laughs> 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 Sandra, did you say you've seen one? Sorry, it was in southern Sweden. That's, oh, it was yeah. that. It was at the campus, but just in terms yeah. of like Actually, climate. Actually, the best yeah. one. Because they don't get the heat. The yeah. best one I've ever seen was in Ireland. Okay. And I was at a garden oh, called great. Mount Usher. Yeah. And it has a river that flows virtually through the garden. Wow. And the river has been dammed so that you've got these sheets of still water and then it falls oh, wow. over. Nice. And there was a Davidia planted above the river and it was hanging out over the water and you could see mm, the, reflection the reflection of the flowers as well as the flowers up above your head. Yeah, wow. And beautiful. it was breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, Davidia in flower is well worth the trip to go and just see that. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, Periander is is yeah. uh, is a great one to mention, and and I and I should have done it without being prompted because it it is a beautiful <laughs> garden, and it is a not so visited garden, and and you will be able to get a car park, and of course at the moment you got magnolias and they're coming out everywhere, yeah. so mm. so yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. specky. Yeah, mm. pretty specky. Uh, this is a three C R gardening show. You are. 
tuned into. I just lost my sentence. Um, my name's Chloe Foster, and in the studio with me today is Tex Moon, Stephen Ryan, and Sandra Swartz. If you want to chat to us, the number is 94190155, and the text message line is 0488 809 855. Let's get to talking about some plants. Yeah, um, yeah we're going to run out of time. We've sure. only yeah. got a little bit of time yeah. left. All right. Do you want me to start? Yeah. yeah let's do this big. All right. Yes. Buffer. Now the picture should be up on our uh, socials. So this is a plant that um, I've known about for years, but I I wasn't able to source one until comparatively recently. And funnily enough, I got it through Lilac Rorama. Yeah. Um, now this is a really weird plant from Southern Africa, uh, Dermatobotry saundersi. Uh, it's in the Scrofulariaceae family, so it's related to uh, foxgloves, all that sort of group of plants. It's the only epiphytic cordex-forming, so bulgy-based forming uh, plant in the in the family. Um, and in South Africa, they call it tree jockey, which I think is quite a, a good name <laughs> for it. I think that you know. It, jockeys away up on the limbs of other trees so i think it's <laughs> okay. it's an appropriate name uh it makes a great pot plant um uh it flowers for months and it has these tubular orangey red flowers on it it gets big thick uh almost succulent leaves i on did it. think that you had brought in a cane begonia yeah. that's yeah, what it's it got it that sort like. of heavy stems like yeah. a cane begonia and uh so it's a really weird plant it's it's uh, it's Struggling in the wild, um, it's considered to be under threat uh, in the wild. Uh, so it's you know something that's quite rare in its native habitat, uh, and you could grow it in any suburban garden in a fernery or on a veranda or anywhere you'd grow perhaps a fuchsia. Uh, yeah. uh, it would be happy. It's surprisingly cold hardy. It seems to cope with the Mount Masset and cold quite well. I've had it for two winters now, and it's gone through without sort of blinking. Uh, it's almost embarrassing. Embarrassingly easy to propagate. <laughs> it uh, looks easy to yeah, propagate. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's pretty pretty straightforward <laughs> to propagate. So I've got young ones coming along this year, which is uh, quite gratifying. Um, so Dematobotrys saundersi, the tree jockey. From Can you Stanley. please spell the name of uh, that? I better pull a label out to make sure yeah. you spell it right. <laughs> Go slow. All right. D-E-R-M-A-T-O-B-O-T-R-Y-S. Dermatobotrys. And Saunders I, there's only one species, but it's S A U N D E R S I. So it's a monotypic genus uh, in the Scrofulariaceae family. Beautiful. And you mentioned the word cordex before, uh, yes. and we're having a chat before we came on air yeah. because I've heard of, I've only just recently come across the term cordex, and I'm sure I've come across it before, but you can't absorb everything all at once. Mm. It sounds like a similar term to what a lignotuber yeah. is, which so is a swollen base of yeah. dormant and, buds. And that's basically what it is. A cordex is a swollen base to a plant. Often in the case of cordex plants in the wild, the cordex is often below the ground. Mm. Yeah. But in cultivation, people raise the cordexes yeah, up okay. so yeah, that yeah. they become then part of the, yeah, the character future. of the plant. Yeah. And in fact, I've just started raising my um, dermatobotrys up. So it's just starting to, I, I sort of 
clean potting mix away from the, the base to see if I could expose the cordex and, and it's slowly starting to produce one so I'm assuming like a lot of these plants it will get bigger and bigger as, as time goes on because this is still a comparatively young plant and cordexes are generally used for storing moisture and nutrients for the hard times. Mm. Uh, some plants become completely herbaceous and just live off their cordex for the hot dry part of the year uh, and completely unrelated plants seem to have gone about doing the same thing mm. so there's even a cactus that has a cordex believe it or not and cactuses have already got fleshy stems yeah. uh, and there's things in the in the grape family that have cordexes there's things in the um, melon family that have cordexes you know there's plants from all over the place and of course cordexes can be quite big too baobab yeah. trees are cordexes right. and yeah. you know mm. so mm. you know whereas the lignotuber more really does just stick below the ground, um, you might see it yeah. swell up a little bit. Yeah. If there's a botanist listening, can you give us a call and maybe yeah. explain the main differences between yeah. the two? The only thing, and, and Tex said this beforehand, the only thing I can see that could be slightly different between a lignotuber and a cordex, and I think he's right, is that lignotubers will often have adventitious buds in them mm. and the plant will reshoot again if the so top the, disappears. And the cordex won't do that? Cordex is if you were to take off all of the growing tips, it's likely it would just rot away. Yeah. Uh, uh, but whether so that's actually a definition, yeah, I don't I, know. It's fascinating. I, I, and I wonder with a lot of these cordex plants, you know, how the conditions kind of dictate mm. how big or small yeah. that is. You know, if, if you've got a... A bottle tree up in the Dandenongs or something. Will it will it get the same girth yeah. as what it what it would in a drier area? Mm. I, yeah, yeah possibly I, not. Yeah, uh, but if you're interested in cordex plants, one I did a YouTube video on them about two or three weeks ago, and it was all done down at Rorama with Lyle. Yeah. And some of his cordex plants are just amazing. Mm. He's got Dioscorias down there, the elephant foot plant that's got sort of cordex is about a metre wide wow. and about a metre and a half tall. They're fifty and eighty years old, mm. uh, and they're just, even if you don't like that group of plants, I mean, they're, they're a sort of an acquired taste, I guess, in some ways, because they're weird. They're not necessarily yeah, yeah. pretty. Mm. Uh, but even if you don't like that set, that group of plants, to go in and see some of these huge cordexes that mm. Lyle's got down there. Uh, definitely worth a visit. Yeah, it is definitely worth having a look at. So, yeah, so Dematobotrys is a really interesting plant. Beautiful. All right, thank you, Stephen. We're going to get to a couple of other um, plants in a second. Just had a text message come through, and it is a community announcement I omitted, so apologies there. The Murrelbuck Community Garden is holding its first working bee on Saturday the 19th of August from 9 till 4. So they're working to establish a new community food garden in the heart of Murrelbuck. They need the community's help to fill the garden beds, set up a, pol a poly tunnel and help get ready for gardening and planting in early September. The address is 8 Station Street, Murrelbark, and there will be a sausage sizzle lunch Whoa. provided. <laughs> that's where I grew up, Murrelbark. Yeah, that's not far from me, yeah. Um, if you can help, please BYO a shovel or garden rake, and if, uh, and if you can, a wheelbarrow. Um, to register for the Working Bee or find out more about becoming a member, visit the Murrelbark Community Garden Facebook page and follow the links. Uh, you can email... Uh, the group as well, and it's Merlebark O C G at gmail.com. And do I need to spell Merlebark? M double O R double O L B A R K. You definitely did that from memory, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, Muralbark Community Garden, help them get up and running next Saturday from nine until four. And another text message has come through. Um, hey team, great show. Uh, another announcement, um, encouraging women in horticulture are hosting a tour of Roy Raymer Nursery and Sunnymead Garden. There we go. Sunday the 17th of September. Full details and booking can be found on the Encouraging Women in Horticulture's website um, or you can just search the event name, which is a tour of Roy Rama Nursery and Sunnymead. The first stop of the day will be at Sunnymead Garden uh, where you'll learn about the landscape that's been created there, given a tour and some morning tea. Attendees will have the opportunity to purchase a signed copy of Peter Shaw's book Soulscape and afterwards you'll make your way back up to Roy Raymer Nursery. So it's Sunday the 17th of September. Um, Peter Shaw is a landscape designer and landscaper down on the Ballerine. Great Ocean Road, Ballerine Peninsula. Um, they do some absolutely incredible coastal landscapes and Sunnymead is his private property. Um, it's stunning. It's just gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. If you want to have a look, um, Gardening Australia did a story on it, so you can jump onto YouTube and type in Peter Shaw, Sunny Mead, Gardening Australia. It should come up. It was open, I think, last year for open gardens, and it was absolutely – it's brilliant. Like, it's such a lovely garden because it's not massive, but it's really interesting. Like, just – I don't know. There's so many little pockets and spaces to be in. Yeah, I haven't been, but it looks like that. Amazing. It's one of my absolute favourite gardens. And his book is beautiful as yeah, well. Yeah, so and the book's Well, stunning. I was going to say it's well worth I can recommend this highly because it's great. Yeah, it's really, and Peter really donated nice. one of the books to our Radiothon last year. So yeah, um, if he's listening, thanks, Peter. Yeah, um, no, he's very supportive yeah, of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Jump onto that. All right, we're still here for another 15 minutes. If you want to give us a call, the number is 94190155. And the text line is 0488 809 855. Let's have a chat about another plant. Tex, you brought in a nice little posy. Yeah, I've got a few things. It's really just uh, what's what's sort of out at the moment. I was, I think I'll talk, because I was talking about wattles a bit earlier, and I um, this is one of my favourite acacias, and we do have it growing up at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden in our Victorian Alpine collection. Um, this one's Acacia obliqua nervia. And oh, I, yeah, is that? I love that one. It's Yeah, it's it's stunning, and it, and it always is stunning right through the, the year. They're um, big elliptical silver leaves, mm. and they actually get like a, a powdery kind of white substance on the leaves, which just... It, it just stays this really silver sheen the whole year, and, of course, at this time of year you get the, the Acacia blossoms coming out and then and it's so endemic to southeastern australia mm. um you know up into canberra and new south wales but mainly down in victoria um so, uh, it's called the montane hickory wattle is its common yeah. name which sort of gives away it's sort of where where you'll find it up in the sort of i guess sort of alpine woodland or montane woodland areas um but yeah it's it's a stunner it can get big it's it can get up to 15 meters but um but i have seen them take a pretty hard cut which not all acacias like so um but yeah we did have we're at the moment we've only got one in the garden we did have more but the deer seem to like mm. to ring bark them so um but we've how now, are we going with that have we got we, have we dealt we, with it we have dealt with it Fantastic. we have we have a uh a 
deep roof fence on our whole perimeter, which uh, nice. is uh, that's been an incredible uh, morale boost for everyone up there. We can oh, actually can start imagine. taking uh, cages off uh, off plants and mm. start worrying about little things like rabbits again, rather than big things <laughs> like deer. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but oh. yeah, so um, game we will, changer. Yeah, absolute mm. game changer. Yeah. I love different game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Yeah. I love the zigzag of the. Yeah. Infl- so the flowers are finished, but there's still the the um, the flower stalk. It's got this really cool zigzag to it. Mm. Yeah. I've seen that growing on some really tough soil, like yeah. where there's no topsoil. It's in hard clay. It's it's a really good one, and the silvery is just a beautiful, mm. you know, shiny colour, as well. And that's a quite bright yellow. Yeah, mm. on a wattle too. Yep. Um, yeah. So, acacia obliquinervia. Beautiful. And Thank is it you. available commercially that we know about? Yeah, good question. I did wonder that when bringing it in. Um, I guess Karenga would be the place to start. Well, yeah, um, start uh, by asking them. I yeah, and then otherwise mm-hmm. you'd be sort of looking at some of your um, indigenous nurseries. I don't know whether the Southern Dandenongs Community Nursery would have it, but um, but but you'd be sort That's of... That's a really good question. I, I wonder, I don't know if I've seen it on a Vink list yeah. either. If it's not, does it... Mm, does it come down as far as like Melbourne or is it mainly up in the hills? Because Karanga may not grow it. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. We, we, need, to find we need to find <laughs> yeah, out. This, yeah. This I mean, mm. the seeds would be easy to grow if you collected seeds from legally. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think the seeds are available. I think I've seen seeds for sale. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as actually finding uh, potted plants, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, growing wattles from seed is one of the easiest plants that you can grow from oh. seed, so it's definitely mm. worth a try. Just a mug, boiling water, and then the next day put them in some, put them in some mix, and and they'll germinate. And they tend to be pretty quick. Yeah, you know, they're growing too. Like, yeah, and um, they don't suffer damping off easily. They're pretty, they're pretty resilient mm. as far as those seedling raising seed raising challenges go. Yeah. Okay, Stephen, another right. plant. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Bend over, I'll give you a little whippy. Um, I bought this along this morning because I think this is a fascinating plant. This is Chinese walking stick bamboo, and it has the most amazing swollen nodes, uh, and you can imagine it turned into a really yeah, good yeah. walking stick. Mm. And, in fact, in China, it was growing in an area of China that the Chinese kept very quiet. They didn't tell people where it was, and they had a big market in walking sticks. So, you know, they were keeping it to themselves. Somehow or another in the mid-1980s, a plant found its way out of China and into England um, via a fairly well-known horticulturalist in England, and nobody's been quite sure how it got there. But anyhow, obviously not with the Chinese government's uh, approval, uh, and it has since found its way around the world. Um, It's very rarely available here in Australia. Uh, It can grow up to five or six metres tall. Uh, This is still a comparatively young culm that I bought in. Culm is the technical term for a bamboo stem. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can see the wonderful swollen Mm. uh, nodes on it. So if you clean off the little side branches and expose the stems, it can look fantastic in the garden. It's soft and airy, moves in every puff of wind, and it's probably the most thuggish running bamboo in the world. (laughs) Right. Yes. So where do we plant it? In a big tub. Right. It's not near on concrete. Like you wouldn't want to plant it on a tub and then put Put that tub on soil. Oh, no. In fact, my stock plant of this, I just divided it the other day and it was in a big black plastic pot and it uh, and I had been watching it for a while and it had grown a rhizome up and over the edge of the pot and all the way down to the gravel below it and was starting to run along the gravel. So. 
yes, anybody who buys this from me needs to be aware of yep, what yep. they're doing. Um, I mean, you could plant it in a garden bed somewhere and put down proper root barriers. It could be done, uh, but you do need to make sure the root barriers stick up High above enough. ground yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that if something tries to sneak up and over, you can see it before it goes too far. And how um, deep does that need to go, Stephen, well, as it, well? Like what do you... The root barrier is very dependent on the soil type. Because if you hit heavy yeah. clay soil, the bamboo's okay. not going to go down into that. Sure. So it's really about, you know, what sort of soil you're working on. If you've got a light sandy soil, it might go down forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you may not be able to put in a root barrier deep enough to yeah. manage gotcha. the plant. Okay. Uh, but in a, a very large ornamental tub, it can look absolutely fabulous. And, of course, if it's on a roof balcony or a patio or somewhere like yeah. that, um, it's perfectly safe to grow mm. it that way but to put it out in the open ground you've got to be fairly cautious about yeah. that but it's the most fabulous bamboo this could be a really good self-defense weapon yes yes like you could really hurt someone with these yeah. <laughs> nodes yes yeah. yes yeah. they would be quite painful if you got a good whack over the backside with it look out yeah yeah as a teacher you should, yes, you should take <laughs> <laughs> i think corporal punishment is frowned upon now um, <laughs> no one needs to know <laughs> yeah. but i think it's the most beautiful plant so uh, it is something that i think is really fascinating uh, it's a unique bamboo there's no other bamboo quite like it yeah um, and uh, I look forward to the time I have something with really big columns on it. Mm. And I just don't quite know how big a container I need to get it into and how well I have to look after it to get it to send up the really big, thick stems on it. Yeah. Um, and I know one of the English growers who wrote one of the Bibles on bamboo said it's the only one that in the end he had to destroy because he couldn't manage it. Uh, and he so warning more. heated with yeah, this one yeah. too. Yeah, oh yeah, definite yeah. warning with it. But just a beautiful plant. Yeah, uh, and you know, used appropriately, could be a wonderful asset to a uh, an Oriental style garden. Um, uh, it really is the most beautiful plant. But yeah. it is an absolute thug. Although I found in my own garden where I've actually planted it in the ground, uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem to go all that terribly deep, and the rhizomes aren't all that big, so they're easy to chop through so with a spade. Pull out, yeah. Uh, and then you can sort of pull them out of the ground. So as long as there's not, as long as it hasn't gone underneath another shrub or something like that where you can't get at the rhizome, mm. um, I've thus far managed mine quite well, and I guess in a few years' time when I get too old to manage it, I'll be able to sit on the front veranda and go, oh, isn't the garden looking green? <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have a ready supply of walking sticks. Yeah, well, that's yeah. right, exactly, yes. <laughs> All right, thanks, Stephen. Uh, we have another caller on the line, Robert in Mitcham. Good morning. Yes, good morning, all. Uh, just a, a question, uh, possibly out of order, because I was listening to a different station yesterday, but Stephen was on ABC. <laughs> yes. He mentioned a, 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 a couple of plants that sounded very interesting, but we weren't quick enough to get pen or pen paper and we couldn't get the, uh, the, um, the names. Any chance of getting them repeated, Stephen? All right. Well, the things I took into the ABC yesterday, one of them I've actually got with me today, which is a Zara Microphylla from Chile, uh, and it makes a lovely, light, airy screening Spell plant. Spell it and A-Z-A-R-A. slowly. A-Z-A-R-A. A-Z-A-R-A. No, A-Z-A-R-A. Azara. Azara Microphylla. Tiny leafed. Yep. Um, and it makes a really good sort of three, four, five metre tall, upright, fanny small tree. Fabulous for screening if you want to break the view of something, but you don't need to have a completely dense yeah. break. And it's in flower now. The flowers are tiny. Can't smell it this morning, but it smells of vanilla good. chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. it is the most fabulous perfume in my garden. And in fact, I've got 
two strategically planted, one in the front garden and one in the back garden, and I've got a neighbour opposite that somehow or another ended up with one in their garden mm. uh, with a little bit of encouragement from somebody else. Uh, and so I can wander right around the property and get this waft of vanilla fragrance. So that was one of the things I talked about. So Azara. Uh, another one I talked about was a South African shrub for shade that's a good screening plant called Micaea Bella. Um, it's got dark green camellia-like leaves, white flowers with purple veins in it, so it looks mauve from a distance. So it's Makaya, M-A-C-K-A-Y-A, Makaya Bella, Bella meaning beautiful. Mm. Uh, and it will grow in dry shade really well. Uh, it's slightly frost tender, so I wouldn't take it. In my garden, it gets a little nipped occasionally. This year, it's fine. hasn't been touched at all, uh, but it always bounces back again. But in really cold areas, if you took it to Trentham or Blackwood or Kyneton or some of those areas, it could quite easily be burnt to the ground and killed. Uh, but around Melbourne, it's perfectly hardy, and it will grow in those really dry, shady spots. I've seen it growing under Moreton Bay figs. Mm, right. So okay. it can grow in really yeah. difficult conditions. And it's a, a good screening plant up to about two and a half, three metres tall and very prunable. There you go. <laughs> Did you get all that down, Robert? <laughs> I got that down. I had pen and paper and I've uh, written down pretty well what I uh, I think it was. Can I sneak in a question? Yeah, quickly. You can. <laughs> daughter, daughter, daughter's got a, uh, uh, one of the plants called a mock orange, I think, and it's just suddenly died. Probably wet feet. <clears throat> that was what I said. Yeah. So <laughs> too much love. anything that's died over the last two or three yeah. years uh, can nearly always be pinned down to wet feet. I yeah. mean, we've had so much unseasonal rain. I mean, plants don't mind being wet and soggy in the winter uh, as a rule. Um, but if they're going to be wet and soggy 12 months of the year, a lot of plants Amen. won't make it. Yep. My, my Tahitian lime, of, lime eventually gave up after three years of wet summers uh and so i'm gonna have to plant a new one this year um and it it was a 15 20 year old tree yeah um and for some reason or another it just got too damp where it was growing i mean Mm -hmm. it was in a raised bed so it shouldn't i would have thought got that wet but i can't pin it down to anything else uh so i'm assuming it drowned there you go well thank you all for once again for a great show no worries thanks for calling in robert have a good day Bye. bye All righty, we've got a couple more minutes left. Tex, have you got any plants left? Uh, I think I, look, I, I did bring a little Pyrrhus in just because it's something that's out in flower. I think I mentioned it they're before. They're gorgeous. You know, I, I just think they are such a good plant and obviously there's there's a lot of different cultivars of mm. Pyrrhus. This one I think is the Christmas cheer, Pyrrhus mm. japonica. Um, but, yeah, a plant that will grow in a you know semi-shade, protected spot, Great screen, great foliage. You know, you get the, some of them that have got really uh, red kind of uh, foliage and then these really, really pretty um, bells that come out in flower. Mm. I find uh, them really satisfying to deadhead. Yeah. They look amazing <laughs> after you've deadheaded them. Yeah, yeah they, and they love a prune, they yeah. love a trim. They're yeah. just, yeah, just just a really – and, and, and one of the first things to sort of come out in spring. Um, they're in Ericaceae? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So do they tolerate slightly more acidic soils yeah, as absolutely. well? Yeah, yep. So same 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 conditions as azaleas and, and, and roadies, um, essentially. So, yeah, they're just a a, a great garden plant, I think. And, and um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously they grow really well up in the Dandenongs, but I'd imagine suburbs, they're, they're pretty hardy. around the suburbs as long yeah. as they're not in that really hot, dry Don't want them on a westerly, aspect. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the Japanese garden... At the zoo, at Melbourne yep. Zoo, yeah, there's yeah. heaps of a number of different varieties of pyrus there, yeah. and it's yeah, 
right in the middle of Melbourne and yep. um, they're, they're a bit protected. Yeah. Um, they're a fantastic little plant. Yeah. No, it was just more of a plug for, for them. But there's, as I say, there's lots of cultivars around. Mm. Yes, um, you could actually start a nursery just growing different cultivars of them. There's so yeah. many of them out there's there. Heaps. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I can't really tell the difference between them most of the time. Well, there's the pinks and the white ones. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, do, they, do they vary in, in well, size yeah, or height yeah, that yeah, much? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So you can get the big. Um, well, I think it's former Sana, is in the foresty eye. Then you got the little mm. uh, saraband and things like that. So there's things for, that are a metre high to sort of semi trees. So. Mm, right. Yes, yeah, oh. yeah, so there's a pyrus for almost any shape and size you could yeah, want, yeah, really, yeah. Uh, up to almost small tree. They sound a bit like the Japanese form of um, pomoderis that mm. we have in yeah. in southeastern Australia. Yep. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So, yeah, so pyrus, I think they're really charming shrubs, I have to say, too. So I think they're yeah. well worth looking out for. And uh, they don't seem to get some of the bugs and pests that Isaiah's yeah, roadies get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They seem to stay clean and green. Yeah, you know, there's none green. of that sort of lacewing or whatever it is that roadies yeah. and, and azaleas tend to get. It doesn't get rhododendron rust that some mm. of the roadies get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't get petal blight like a lot of yeah, azaleas yeah. get. <laughs> It's pretty, yeah. It is pretty pest free. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we're, we are running out of time. Something I do wonder, wanted to ask you about again up at Dandenong Ranges is the insectivory garden beds that you've been putting yeah. on. How are they going? Yeah, good. Look, and and that is directly in response to um, lace bug. You yeah. Know, obviously, we we have a garden that has big monoculture areas of azaleas and rhododendrons. So so it's a smorgasbord for. For pest insects, specifically lace bugs. So, has there been a noticeable decline? <laughs> That's a good question. It's a hard one to to qualify. Yeah. Um, so basically, what we've done is is just tried to diversify plantings around it because we do actually buy in beneficial bugs. So we yeah. buy in green lacewing. Mm-hmm. The issue with green lacewing is that um, it's a really good predator in that nymph phase as it's crawling around. It, yeah. it does actually. Uh, predate really well on the on the lace bug but then as an adult it needs a nectar source so but by that time all of the azaleas have stopped flowering and and Mm -hmm. so the idea is just introducing that plant diversity and so you keep that insect diversity so so we've been planting um perennial sort of borders around it with late later sort of summer flowering um perennials um then a lot of native plants and just things that that hold on to flower a long time, like outside the, of the usual season. Yeah, so so it, as I say, it's hard to qualify exactly mm. how how well it's working, especially since the last sort of three seasons have been yeah. particularly friendly. Like lace bug mm. tends to you see the damage a lot more on dry hot years and in spots where the plants are out in the yeah. open in, in the in the heat. So so we've had friendly seasons, but um, yeah, look, I I, I think so. Is, is the answer. Yeah, and it's probably and, a bit of a long game. A long game. Anyway. And it, ultimately you're just putting more flowers in your garden. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a win-win anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, um. beautiful. Well, we have come to the end yes, of another show. Thank you, the three of you, for the wonderful chats this morning. It made it worth getting out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tex, Stephen Pleasure. and Sandra. Thank, you. Thanks, Thank you to Bern and Tom for keeping us in line, Thank producing... You. Thank you to Liz who does our socials and you guys, the listeners, for tuning in and asking us questions. Have a lovely Sunday and we'll be back again next Sunday again. See you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 